Good evening. <laughs> Just got in under the wire. <laughs> uh, so good to see you tonight. I am here in person tonight versus last week, and uh, we will be beginning tonight in chapter one and chapter two of the book of Amos. So get ready for that. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful lesson in the book of Amos. But want to welcome those who are on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. Be sure to heart, to like, to share, to follow us there on Facebook. Subscribe on YouTube. Click the notification bell. Make sure it says all. Uh, that way you'll get the live notification. Uh, when we go live, uh, if you follow us on Facebook, you get that. And then also on our phone live streaming, it'll automatically call you. If you need that phone number, uh, please call the church office at the number you see on your screen. Uh, and that way we'll be able to uh, call you back. Uh, it'll, it'll call you back and we'll get you set up with that. Uh, and Brother Ben, you may want to check and make sure volume is working because it did not work Sunday night. I remember some comments from that. Uh, so, uh, but do want to welcome those who are there on our phone live streaming. Uh, want to remind you of a few other things. We've got our bulletins uh, there under the info tab. You can download. We have those in person in the windowsills at the doors. Be sure to get one of those. Lots of upcoming uh, activities. Uh, so you'll want to grab uh, one of those if you don't have one. Children's worship bulletins are in the windowsill to my right. They're online also under that info tab. And then you can also download tonight's prayer list there under the info tab, so be sure uh, to take the time uh, to do that. And if you're here in person, uh, these are on the front pew. If you didn't get one on either side, uh, we'll be glad to come and give you one uh, if you didn't get that. Uh, so be sure for that. Then also, while you're there on our church website, you can do your online giving. You can do your regular giving there. Uh, you can also do the giving to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. So I encourage you to be praying about uh, giving towards that if you've not given yet. Uh, it's a wonderful opportunity for you to support uh, our missionaries who are here uh, all across North America, here in the United States as well as Canada. And we've actually been able to support some of those missionaries uh, there in Canada in particular. So uh, be sure to continue to pray. Use your prayer guide. Uh, we're still highlighting every Sunday uh, some of those missionaries who are in that guide. So be sure uh, to get those downloaded uh, and, and be praying for those individuals. Also want to remind you of our Easter egg hunt coming up on Saturday. Uh, it's going to be from 1 to 3 p.m. Uh, even if you're not a kid, y'all can come too. Uh, we want you to come and, and just mingle with some of the parents, some of the families. Uh, just encourage them. Uh, let them know that there are people who love them and who are praying for them. Uh, it's a wonderful opportunity for us to reach out not only to the kids, but also uh, to their family members. We'll be sharing the gospel with them, uh, having some food and some fun, uh, some games. There'll be inflatables, all those kinds of things. 4,000 eggs. Uh, this is almost all 4,000 of them here. I think they're actually still stuffing a few admissions tonight in Awana. So uh, pray for these eggs as each one of these represents uh, the gospel going out uh, to those kids. And then we've also got our Easter services coming up on April the 9th. We'll have sunrise service at 7 uh, in the morning. So that's not this Sunday, but the following Sunday. It's already here on us. Um, and so we'll have breakfast right after that. And then we'll have our regular worship service at 1030 with our choir singing their Easter cantata. And then I'll be bringing our Easter message uh, that Sunday morning, too. So you make plans to join us. Lots of activities over the next two weeks, especially uh, lots of ways you can get involved uh, in our church, too. So you come and be involved in all of those things. Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us. Take your handles and turn to 142. We'll do all four verses of There is a Fountain. Miss Pat. <laughs> 
Hopefully at home, you've had an opportunity to get your prayer list uh, downloaded. Uh, also, if you're at home and you're on uh, any one of those platforms, especially uh, Facebook, that's where we'll receive any comments that you want to share, any prayer requests uh, that you want to give there. So I encourage you to take the time to hop over there if you're on YouTube or Twitter watching us, uh, make those prayer requests there, and then we'll uh, be following along there uh, with the live feed with the chat there that you can uh, share those, and we'll try to get those in uh, as we go along. Let me just, uh, there's not a whole lot that I have to share of individuals, uh, just a few. Um, just want to continue to remember Sandra Wells uh, with her kidney stone and everything that still is not finished taken care of. Uh, she's uh, scheduled to go uh, next month, so it's still a while before she's going to go back unless uh, things get worse between now and then. So just pray it doesn't. Pray that things continue to ease off there with that kidney stone. Uh, Linda Connor is at home, and so we praise the Lord for that. If you didn't know, she had a heart attack Sunday, uh, had two stents uh, put in, uh, and uh, was 80% blocked uh, in that one artery. And so uh, we just praise the Lord that she got to the care she needed to when she did and that the Lord was uh, watching over her. So keep her in your prayers as she continues to recover from that. <clears throat> we also want to remember Leanne Wells. She sent me a message 
uh, earlier this afternoon uh, that she is going to be having knee surgery uh, tomorrow. So we want to uplift her uh, in prayer and keep her in prayer. Uh, you'll notice also on the nursing home list, uh, Miss Birdie Davis, I believe it was on Saturday or Friday there, uh, was maybe probably Friday, was uh, placed in uh, life care uh, nursing home uh, so we want to remember her in prayer there miss susie barton is still at nhc uh, so keep her uh, in your prayers too they're still waiting on a room to open up at morning point uh, for her but uh, be in prayer for miss birdie davis as they moved her uh, to there and then also we had a few others that were uh, added uh, to the uh, friends and family list uh, we had herb taylor uh, who Mark Smith had asked for prayer there, uh, who has cancer, uh, Bob Baker Jr., uh, who has cancer, and that's related there to John, Donna Jackson, and then Easton Haley, uh, Brian Tate had asked us uh, to add him. Uh, and then also just want to continue to remember Brother Sidney Gibson in the passing of his wife, Miss Sandy. And he's not good in, in good health either, so you want to pray for him with his health. Any others that we need to add or any updates that you may have tonight? All right, do be in prayer for our daughter. She'll be uh, flying back home to, well, back to New York uh, tomorrow, and then she'll be there for about four days before she goes on to uh, Korea. And so pray for her for the next three months. She'll be over there. Uh, and then I'll have to come back after her tourist visa is over. And then her plans are to hopefully be able to work over there, but that'll require uh, submitting for a work visa and all those things. And she has to have a job lined up for that to happen. So I just pray for her for all of that. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer then uh, as we uplift these in prayer. If you're at home still, you can comment there anytime on Facebook. Uh, we'll come back to it at the end there just to make sure if anybody's been added or not. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the blessings of this day. Thank you for your presence with us tonight. We thank you for uh, just your provisions for us each day. Uh, you give us everything to sustain us in life. Uh, Lord, we so often take so many things for granted. We take uh, our, our, the breath, the air that we breathe. Uh, Lord, we take our, our bodies even for granted. We take, uh, Lord, just the beauty around us for granted. We take you for granted. And so, Father, I pray that as we realize that as we come into your presence, that we are, you are a holy God, and in the face of your holiness, none of us compare. Uh, Lord, all of us are, are filthy sinners. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to see any unrighteousness within us, any un, unrighteous deeds or thoughts, uh, because you've even told us in your word that, that to, to dwell on and to think on those things uh, that, that are sinful uh, are the same even as committing those things. And so, Father, I pray that you would cleanse us tonight with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You've told us if we confess our sins before you, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. So we seek your cleansing tonight. We, Lord, we want to hear from you. We want you to hear our prayers and our requests on behalf of individuals, but we do want to hear from you too tonight. And so, Father, we just ask that there be nothing in the way for that to, to hinder our communication, our talk with you, our prayer 
share with you. And so, Father, I pray that you will, uh, whatever those sins may be, bring them out into the light of your truth that we might confess uh, those things, whether they're things that we've done against you, things that we failed to do that you commanded us to do, or whether it's thoughts maybe even that we've had. Father, I pray that you will cleanse us of all of those things. Lord, we just thank you so much for what Jesus did for us and taking the burden of our sin upon himself, uh, that, that he took that punishment in our place that we deserved. And Lord, I pray tonight that we would not take that for granted also. Father, I pray that we would count the grace and the mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as very, very precious uh, in our hearts and in our lives. And so, Father, we just pray uh, that uh, as we come before you, Lord, we uh, just want to come and, and intercede on behalf of many individuals who are on this prayer list. There may be others, Lord, who are on our hearts. We personally may have some uh, personal prayer requests that maybe we didn't mention out loud, but you know those burdens burdens and those needs in our hearts. And we just ask God that as we uplift each and every one of these prayer requests to you, Lord, whether it's a physical need or whether it's a spiritual need or whether it's a financial or a, or a relationship need or a marital need, uh, a family need, Father, I just pray and know that according to your word, your grace is sufficient for all of our needs. So that's the first thing we ask for, Lord, is your grace. We ask for your grace upon each one of these people. We ask for, your, uh, for you to pour that grace out upon them and to shower them, Lord. Not a person on this list, including ourselves, deserves anything that you would do for us. But yet we come before you, Lord, seeking your mercy and seeking your grace. So we ask, Lord, that your grace will follow us uh, and, and overwhelm us each and every day, uh, even in spite of ourselves and who we are. And so, Father, we just pray also uh, that your, 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 your healing touch would be physically upon these individuals to bring that physical healing to their bodies. Lord, you know each person's situation, uh, whether it's cancer or whether it's uh, something else going on in their body, maybe with their heart or, or maybe with uh, so, some broken bones or, or whatever the situation may be. Maybe there's a terminal illness uh, these individuals are dealing with or, or maybe it's some other uh, issue like the terrible diseases of dementia and Alzheimer's. Father, we pray that you'll be with each and every person on this list and, and touch them, Lord, and bring uh, the healing that they need to their bodies, Lord. And, and as they go through these times that they're going through in these difficult situations, Lord, that you will make yourself known to them. Uh, let them know that you are with them. Lord, may they find peace in your presence. And Father, may you show your power in a great and mighty way as you bring healing to their bodies. Lord, we know for some that may mean the ultimate healing of being in heaven with you where we'll have a new body. Lord, help us to realize that, that death for a Christian is not a bad thing. It's a great thing because, Lord, we're not going to have any more of the pains or the sufferings or the heartaches or the body aches that we may have now. Lord, we will be in your presence complete, new, uh, with a new body, Lord, with none of those ailments anymore. And so, Father, I just pray that you will be with those individuals who that may be uh, their place in, in life. Lord, we don't know what any of us are, are going to face uh, death. It could happen for any of us at any moment. And so, Father, I pray that we'll make sure that in our hearts we are ready 
uh, for that day when it comes, that we know that we know Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. And if we do know Jesus, that we're making the most of every opportunity to make the greatest impact that we can for your kingdom. Lord, we pray that you will increase uh, our, our, our endeavors in reaching out to share the gospel more than ever before. Uh, increase, Lord, uh, your kingdom as we uh, seek to minister to individuals, as we witness to them. Father, I pray for uh, you to just increase the touch that we have on this world in sharing the good news of the gospel, especially as we get closer and closer to the last days, the last days of our life and the last days when Jesus will come again. So, Lord, we pray uh, that you will just walk with these people through those times and walk with us to draw us closer to you than ever before. Thank you, Lord, for our, our Awana group that's here tonight, those children, Father, who, are, who have heard your word in our Bible story, who are learning uh, to memorize some scripture, who are learning about missions and the mission work that goes on uh, around our nation and the world uh, in their missions time and, and actively being involved in it themselves. So, Father, I just pray that you'll bless them tonight. Uh, Father, I pray that they'll have a wonderful time, a fun time, but that it'll be a spiritually uh, uplifting and growing time for them also. Be with our youth uh, who are meeting in another part of the building. And we pray, God, that you'll uh, just be with our, our youth leaders. Be with Pastor Matt as he's teaching them uh, the truth of, of your word. And, Father, I pray that they will become uh, the sol soldiers who are following you faithfully, Lord, that they, you will use them and raise them up as a new generation uh, to carry the light of the truth of your word to the world around us. Father, I pray that uh, your will be done as we seek as a church to do all that you've called us to do with this Easter egg hunt this uh, Saturday. Uh, Lord, I pray that we'll realize it's not just a, an Easter egg hunt, it's an opportunity to share the gospel uh, with children and with their families. And so, Father, I pray that uh, you will prepare the hearts of everyone who will hear the gospel this Saturday as they come. Uh, there may be upwards of 300 people who are here. And so, Father, I pray that uh, that, that uh, gospel opportunity will go out and be magnified beyond what we could ever imagine as seeds are planted in their hearts, as many, some of them come to faith in Christ, and that continues on as they share the gospel too. So, Bless us tonight, Lord, as we come to study your word in the book of Amos. Lord, I pray that as we study through this book, may we see the relevance of it to our culture and our day that we live in, uh, see the relevance for our lives. And Father, I pray that you will speak to us powerfully through your word tonight. May you be glorified. May you be honored. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the book of Amos. You may be wondering where Amos is. We just got done with Joel a couple of weeks ago, or, or a few weeks ago. Uh, we are, it's right after it. And so we're going to be looking at chapter 1 and chapter 2 tonight. I've entitled this message tonight, A Country Preacher. You ever heard a country preacher? We are in the country, aren't we? <laughs> I'll tell you, though, there's a lot more rural country than this is right here in Tullahoma. Uh, Mountain City was one of those. And so I know there are some of those who still listen uh, to our services here uh, every week and every service that we have. So, uh, But a Amos here is that exactly. He is a country preacher. Now, remember, there are 12 uh, minor prophet books. 
uh, of the Bible. And these books that we're looking at and studying that are characterized as the minor prophets, remember, they are minor prophets on the basis of the size of their book, not on the basis of the message. Their message, each one of them individually, is just as powerful and just as potent and, 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 and important as Jeremiah's or Ezekiel's or Daniel's or even Isaiah's. So even though these are, are small books, uh, they have a, a huge message in each one. And so these 12 men, they were prophets of God. They were remarkable. They were unusual. They were even out of the ordinary men. Now, some of them did ordinary things uh, in life, as we're going to see here uh, with this country preacher, Amos. Uh, but he did things that were uncommon for a country preacher. And, and so we notice here the, these prophets uh, were those who were kind of the, the, the spiritual physicians, if you will, of their day. It was their responsibility to diagnose the case and to prescribe uh, the cure. Uh, they were the Lord's troubleshooters. It was their job to, to locate, identify what's the trouble, under, uh, so understand they're not the ones who caused the trouble that they're talking about. Uh, they just put their finger on the trouble. Now, you might remember when, uh, when Ahab the king got all out of joint with Elijah because Elijah was preaching the word of God in his day and they had a confrontation and Ahab said to Elijah he said is it you you troubler of of Israel uh, and Elijah said I have not troubled Israel but you have and your father's house and so he was putting his finger on the trouble. Uh, kind of like when you go to the doctor uh, and you've got some kind of ailment and the doctor says, well, where does it hurt? And what's he start doing? He starts poking around to find out where it hurts. You told him it hurts on your arm. He's poking around. Oh, yeah, that's where it hurts. When he finally, ouch, that's where it's at. Now, the doctor, he doesn't cause the trouble. He just puts his finger on the trouble. Well, that's the assignment of the prophet of God. Amos is one of those kind of men who was from down south, if you will, uh, going up to the country up north is where he was called to preach. Amos is a country preacher who's come to town. And so the first thing I do want to look at tonight before we get into the message that we're going to see is the preacher. Now, I, you sh I shared some of this uh, last week with you in the video, uh, but you'll get a lot more in depth here uh, as we go along. We learned some things about him from the book of Amos. And, and I don't have all the scriptures that I'm going to share with you uh, on the screen. Uh, but you'll, you'll be able to follow along for the most part. I wasn't even actually able to put chapter 2 in. Kept having some issues with the program. So uh, chapter 1 is in there for you. And we'll get to that in a moment. But in chapter 1 and verse 1, you find out a lot about the preacher himself. Uh, in fact, we learn what his credentials are. His name means to bear a burden, uh, to bear a burden. He's a burden bearer. And so when you look at it, uh, that ought to, if you've read your Bible, if you've studied your Bible more, uh, it ought to make you think about uh, the book of Malachi and how it begins. If you look at the book of Malachi and how it begins, it says, begins by saying this, the burden of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. 
And so the Lord laid a burden of a message on the heart of that man, Malachi, who we're going to get to at the end of these uh, minor prophets uh, that he had delivered. Understand this. There's a blessing in the preaching of the word of God, but there's also a burden that's attached to it, too. There's a burden attached to being a faithful deliverer of what God has laid upon your heart. So here's Amos, who's a prophet of God, and he's bearing this burden of the message that God has laid upon his heart. You'll notice also in verse 1, verse 1 says, The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa. Uh, So you'll notice here that he was among the herdsmen (coughs) of Tekoa. That word Tekoa means to pitch a tent. Uh, It was was where the nomads uh, lived. Now, we know that Tekoa uh, was down in the south in the southern country. If you remember your your geography, that's why I wanted to give you that first uh, video last week to refresh where we are in the history of Israel. You've got the divided kingdom, the north and the south, uh, and, and south is Judah, north is Israel. Uh, sometimes it's referred to Ephraim up here uh, in the north. Uh, so sometimes you'll see some interchangeable names for either one of them uh, that they have unique for each one. But primarily we talk about Israel, and that's what we'll see most of the time in the scripture. Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And so Judah is the ones who, who they don't go into exile and don't get captured till later uh, the judgment doesn't come upon them till later uh, because they had remained more faithful than the, na- than the, the divided kingdom there uh, of Israel, the northern kingdom. So it, the north is where Amos is going to go, but he's from the south. He's from Judah. In fact, Tekoa is about 10 miles south of Jerusalem. You should have saw that on, your, on the video uh, last week also. Uh, it's about 10 miles south uh, of Tekoa, uh, or 10 miles south of Jerusalem. Uh, it's about six miles south of Bethlehem. So you have Jerusalem here, you have Bethlehem that's almost right a next door neighbor. If you ever go there on a tour of Israel, it's, it's not that far, just a few miles o- over to Bethlehem. And then right below Bethlehem is where Tekoa was. Uh, It was a vast wasteland. In fact, when you go to Bethlehem, one of the things you're going to see, you see the shepherd's fields. Remember, uh, we thought we learned mostly about Bethlehem, uh, not only in the book of Ruth, but we learned about Bethlehem uh, in the birth of Jesus. Uh, And you'll remember the shepherds were in the fields there in Bethlehem. That's what you're going to see when you go to Bethlehem. You're going to see limestone uh, with a little bit of grass covered over those hills. Uh, It it really is uh, kind of a wasteland. Limestone hills is a rugged piece of land. There's caves all over the place. Uh, All of the, uh, to the east, uh, there's the Dead Sea, uh, or actually to the west, there's the Dead Sea. Is that right? East, west? Let me get my directions. Yes, it's east. East is the Dead Sea. West is the, the Mediterranean Sea. All the sounds all the sights of nature are there and so here's this man Amos who's a herdsman that means he's been out there Uh, he's he's kind of like if you remember back in the Old Testament like David who was out watching the sheep he's that kind of guy but that's where he was all the time that was his livelihood David was just a young man at the time uh, who lived under the roof of his dad here's Amos this is his job Uh, it's a rugged piece of land there Amos had become very acquainted Uh, with the world uh, of the wilderness there and the nature. Uh, He came from a country spot 
from down in the south. Now, evidently, uh, that was because he was in the wasteland there, because he was in this isolated place. In, he was isolated physically in many ways because you're out there with the sheep and it's just you and the sheep. There's nobody else to talk to. Uh, you're not in the hustle and bustle of the town or the city. And so he's alone out there, isolated, watching over the sheep in the wilderness. And out there, he gets his heart in tune with the heart of God. He comes into intimate contact uh, with God, and God talked to him. It kind of reminds us of David, uh, the lessons that he learned when he was shepherding uh, the sheep. And, and many of those things he writes about even in the Psalms. And so it was there in the wilderness, there in that place where he's tending the sheep, that God gives a message to this man. Now, he's just an ordinary man at this point. But the Bible says he was a herdsman of Tekoa. Uh, and uh, I want to ask you to turn over to Amos chapter 7 and verse 14. This won't be on your screen, so hopefully you have your Bibles open there uh, at home. Uh, but Amos chapter 7 and verse 14, we find out some more details about Amos. In fact, it goes into a little bit more detail uh, with that and what, what he, who he is. So verse 14 says... Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, we'll learn about him in a little bit, I was no prophet, not, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. So here we get the picture from his own words. He tells us a little bit about himself. The word herdsman, we said, of course, means shepherd. Shepherds were, were kind of the outcast people, but they wind up having a noble history uh, amongst the people of God in the children of Israel. <clears throat> Moses, remember, was a shepherd. David, uh, their great king, started off as a shepherd. In fact, Jesus Christ takes that terminology to refer to himself to remind us, I am the good shepherd. And so here was this man, Amos, who was a shepherd might think of it in our term, terms today, kind of like a cowboy, uh, if you will. Uh, the word here is a word that was used uh, to refer to a special kind of sheep. These were sheep that were a stunted kind of sheep that produced some, of, some very expensive wool. And it's altogether possible that the, this man Amos, being a herder of these sheep of expensive wool, uh, that his business uh, would take him from time to time up into the northern uh, kingdom, up into Israel. Uh, it, it would take him up there to the, to the marketplaces up there, to the great centers of activity and, and, economic and economics and commerce. And it was up there that he evidently gets a, a, a picture uh, of, uh, of, of the nations there because uh, travelers and merchants would come from all parts of the world to the northern kingdom of Israel. He saw what was going on up there and he got just a little taste of what was happening in the world and what he saw began to make his blood boil. And we're gonna find out just how upset he was when he sees what's happening because he's seeking to serve the Lord and he's like, if you're gonna treat the Lord this way, that just burns me inside. So he was not only a herdsman we find out, he was also a, a, a gatherer of the sycamore figs there. If you go back to uh, verse 1 of chapter 1, it says there that 
that here was Amos. He was a, or actually there in verse 14, sorry, he was a, a dresser of sycamore figs. Uh, a better word would be there that he was a pincher, a pincher of sycamore figs. A person who worked in this field as a farmer, they would pinch the skin of the, of the sycamore fig, the fruit there, and it would let an insect uh, begin to come out that was detrimental to the ripening of the sycamore. And so what he's doing there physically, he's about to do spiritually a similar type work because God is going to use Amos to literally pinch the surface of the culture of his day and to expose the bugs of sin that are inside. And so those are his credentials. And it's into that circumstance that Amos receives this call from the Lord. Now, in Amos chapter 7, verse 10 through 17, uh, you're given a little historical background there. As Amos went up to the north to preach, uh, we find out in verse 10 that he's confronted by a priest, a guy by the name of Amaziah. So it says in verse 10, then Amaziah the priest, this is in chapter 7, Amaziah the priest of Bethel, so you got two different places of worship. You've got Jerusalem where the temple is, and the northern kingdom, they don't want to go down there to the south. They can't go down there to the south because they've divided. So they create their own places of worship to go to, and they've mixed uh, other things. They built golden calves even, like they did uh, when they came out of Egypt uh, up there in the north in Israel. And, and so here they are. They've set up this place at Bethel, to worship and Amaziah the priest of Bethel sent to Jeroboam king of Israel saying Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel the land is not able to bear all his words so Amaziah is kind of what you would maybe say the preacher of the White House if you will the preacher of the big house uh, he's the preacher to uh, to the royal leadership of the nation of Israel, of the northern kingdom. And you'll notice he sends word to Amos in verse 12. So in verse 12, Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, and eat bread there, and prophesy there. Now Bethel was just across the border in the north. In Bethel is the official residence of the king of Israel. But also in Bethel, as we said a moment ago, is the official place of worship. It was kind of the national cathedral, if you will, of the kingdom. And so we're going to see that Amos, what he preaches, begins to disturb things and shakes up the status quo. So much that Amaziah, who's the official preacher to the king, goes out to this country hick preacher, if you will, and says, you just need to go back where you came from. You go on back down there to the south. You've got no business up here in the north. In fact, in verse 12, notice what he calls Amos. He calls him a seer. And he's not calling him that to flatter him or to encourage him. He's using that in a derogatory way. Uh, he, it's used in, in, in a contemptful way. It's a word that means you're just a crystal ball gazer. You're not a real prophet. In that context, Amos tells us how God called him to be a preacher. And that's what he said in verse 14 that we read a moment ago. It says, Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, 
nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. And so in verse 14, he answers Amaziah. He says, I was no prophet. The literal language says, no prophet I. If you put it in the Hebrew and you wrote it just like it is, it says, no prophet I. He's saying, I was not a prophet by profession. So in those days, they had professional prophets. They had what they called the sons of the prophets, the school of the prophets. You sometimes read about those in the book of Ezekiel uh, and even in Isaiah some. Uh, they, they had what they called uh, the sons of the prophet, the schools of the prophets. So the, the official prophets of that day had become this immoral group, if you were. They were professional. They were money conscious. They sought to please the people. They sought to tickle the people's ears by what they would say uh, to give a soothing message uh, no matter what was going on and give the people what they wanted to hear. And Amos says, I want you to know I don't belong to the professional schools. No prophet I, not by profession. And then he also says in verse 14, neither was I a prophet's son. So literally he's saying, no prophet's son I. He's saying he wasn't a preacher by parenting, uh, by, by parenthood. His parents weren't. Uh, he wasn't brought up in a family of preachers. Uh, he had no connection family-wise in his history lineage to say, well, my daddy was a preacher. That's why I'm a preacher. I wasn't brought up in a family of preachers either. I did have a grandfather uh, who was a preacher, but that's about it. I don't know if anybody back in the day, if you go down the lineage there, I do know on my grandmother's side we had a horse thief in Georgia. And he got whipped with 39 lashes <laughs> minus the one like you would get back in those days. Uh, I don't know of any preachers that were in uh, my family. So I can truthfully say I wasn't brought up in a family of preachers. It's wonderful if a person has that heritage. But Amos says, I didn't just come up expecting to be a preacher. Uh, and then he says in verse 15 this, But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Go prophesy to the northern kingdom. I've got a message I want you to take to them. Now, did the southern kingdom need to hear what he said? Sure. But the message is primarily to the northern kingdom. And so he's not a preacher by profession. He's not a preacher by parentage. He's a preacher by God's providence, by the call of God on his life to preach. So here's a man, Amos, who has this divine call. He says, the Lord took me from the flock and he told me to go. It's interesting that the word go there is the same word that Amaziah used back in verse 12. It literally means to get. Amaziah was telling Amos, you need to get on back down to the south. And Amos is saying, listen, I don't have a choice about the matter. The Lord called me to preach and God told me to get up here uh, to tell you this message. I'm here on divine assignment. So here's a man called by God, a mighty preacher named Amos. And go back to verse 1 of chapter 1 now. Notice the words of Amos. It says, the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel. So we notice the words of Amos, which he saw. And that's exactly what you find in the book of Amos. We're going to see in chapters 1 through chapter 6 what Amos said. And we're going to find in chapter 7 through 9 what Amos saw. 
So he's preaching a message that the Lord gave him to preach, and here's this country preacher who's come to town. Well, before we still get to the message, I want you to see the people. I want you to see where he's at here. So it tells us, uh, we learn about the day in which he's living. As we said, Israel's the northern kingdom, it says. He, he, this is the visions, the, the word that he received, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. That's the southern kingdom. And in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And so Jeroboam II is who he's talking about here. So if you remember your king's chart uh, that we gave you, it's Jeroboam II, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Uh, that's the northern kingdom. And it's two years before the earthquake. So why include that? Because the people in the history of Israel knew what this earthquake was that he was talking about. It'd be akin to what we might know today in our, in our current events uh, of what happened in Turkey and Syria. If you were to say in the days of when that earthquake hit, or you were to think back in our days here in America, uh, when was that back in the 80s, 90s, the big one that happened in California, uh, and, and roads began to collapse, bridges collapsed there, uh, people will remember that. It'd be like us remembering 9-11, uh, remembering a tragic event. People would know what he's talking about here. Now, we don't get all the details here in the scripture uh, about this earthquake, uh, that doesn't mean a lot to us, uh, but around the events and around the historical personalities and periods of time here, we come to know that this is something that came two years before the earthquake. And it was such a cataclysmic event that everybody remembered it. Now, we don't know how it shook them, but it wasn't going to shake them like the preaching of Amos was about to shake them. So we know something about the people of that day. We know that they were a prosperous people. And I mentioned this last week in my comments before you watch the videos there. It was an unprecedented time of prosperity. They were going through something of an economic boom in those days, if you will. Jeroboam II had expanded the kingdom of Israel to its farthest limits that it ever reached in its history. It was a time of cultural explosion. Uh, they had now become a, a great society. They were a suave group of people. They had luxury houses to live in, summer houses and winter houses. Uh, it, those, they, many of those were inlaid with ivory. Uh, they ate the very finest foods. How do we know all that? Because you're going to see it in the scripture. He's going to talk about it. every one of those little details about what they have in those homes. The foods that they ate. The finest foods. It was just a time of great prosperity. Now understand that and in and of itself isn't wrong. There wasn't anything wrong with any of those things in and of themselves. But there are some dangers at least attached to prosperity. One of its dangers is that prosperity comes, can come sometimes by dishonest means. And the other is, is the tendency to cause, uh, of prosperity to cause moral decay and, a, and an indifference to spiritual things. Things are going fine. People aren't looking to the Lord. But you let the economy begin to crash. You let bad things begin to happen and everybody begins to turn to the Lord. So here's Amos who's called to preach to a prosperous people. It's not the easiest group of people to preach to, uh, especially in a time of prosperity. Not only were they prosperous, they were also very pious people. Now, what does that mean? That means they were very religious. They did a lot, had a lot of religious activity uh, in their lives. There was sort of a religious revival, in a sense, that was going on. People were flocking to the great religious centers 
of that day. They were going on trips and pilgrimages. They were going to Gilgal. They were going to Bethel. Uh, they were going to Beersheba. Uh, great religious shrines. Attendance was big. Offerings were plentiful. Gifts were numerous. It was a time when there was great religiousness among the people. Understand, religion can be a dangerous thing. Sometimes religion can be a cloak that people use to cover their sins. Sometimes religion can be like a sleeping pill to a troubled soul, if you will. Some people want to be able to go to church where they can uh, be religious and comfortable in their sins at the same time. And unfortunately, that's what we see so often across uh, our land. So, so notice, uh, they just wanted to live in their sin. They, they never wanted to hear a true word from God. Uh, they never hear a faithful, to-the-point message from God. Uh, this man uh, who, who spoke to Amos back in chapter 7, verse 14, that we'll get to again later, uh, he just wanted to preach the, the feel-good kind of message uh, to them. Uh, and, and they would just go back day after day, year after year, week after week, to hear those kind of messages. They think... They're very, very religious. So here's Amos, who's getting ready, if you will, like he would do those figs, getting ready to pinch the surface uh, of the religiousness of that day and show them their sin that opposes God. They're a prosperous people, they're a pious people, but they are also a merciless people. I want you to see just how bad they were. We're going to discover in the book of Amos, right alongside their prosperity, was an unbelievable poverty. Right alongside the luxury and the wealth and the overindulgence, there were people amongst them who didn't have enough food to put in their mouth every day. When Amos saw their luxury houses and he saw the poverty all around them, it began to make his blood boil. And when he saw them running up to their religious ceremonies, it caused fire to flash in his eyes. And these people had developed a hardness, if you will, in their souls. These people had grown numb and indifferent to the injustices of their land. It's no wonder then that the key verse of this whole book is found in Amos chapter 5 and verse 24. Would you read that with me? It's a familiar verse. When you read it, you'll begin to think, oh yeah, I remember hearing that verse before. Amos chapter 5 and verse 24. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. That's the key verse of the message of Amos, the country preacher who goes to town. We've looked at the preacher, we've looked at the people, now let's look at the preaching. Notice what he does here. Keep in mind he's from down south, he's uncultured, he's rugged, he's not smooth around the edges, he makes his way up to Bethel, he doesn't have on the finest clothes, he doesn't look like the GQ magazine model, uh, his, his suit's probably out of date, and there he stands, and they look at him and they say, look at there, look at that Hicksville preacher there. He's come to town, let's go out, let's hear what he's got to say. We can just go get a laugh. So they gather around. And notice what Amos chapter 1 verse 2 says. He says to them, he said, The Lord roars from Zion and orders his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. He's talking about Mount Carmel withers. And so he takes his scripture for his sermon. Where did Amos 
get this text. He got it from right out of the Bible, uh, the book right before this one. If you go back to Joel chapter 3 and verse 16, it may be right on the opposite page from yours, it is in mine. It says, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth quake, but the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. So the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. Very same words that Joel had just got done preaching also. Uh, so he gets his text from where we get our messages from the Bible uh, itself. And so he's building his message on revealed truth. So keep in mind that Amos had been out in nature. He's heard the roaring of a lion physically. And, and that's something that is bone chilling to hear, the roaring of a lion. The roaring of a lion means judgment has come. And that's what Amos is going to be preaching. Judgment is coming. You can just imagine the reaction of the people. Who does this guy think he is? The nerve of him coming up here. Where's the, uh, this is where the king goes to church. The king comes here to, to Bethel. And so look at this guy, this country bumpkin. Who does he think he is up here preaching a message of judgment? We don't like a message of judgment when we come to church. We want to be entertained. And so Amos, he might have been a country preacher, but I've got good news, got news for you. He's a very skillful preacher. And he begins to preach. He begins to weave a web, if you will. So in the first two chapters of this book, Amos is going to have a recurring statement. Look at verse 3. Thus says the Lord. You're going to see that phrase over and over and over by Amos. Now, I'd encourage you to read these first two chapters fully all the way through. You'll find that statement occurs eight times in just those two chapters. You're going to discover here that Amos is weaving a web. He's literally putting a noose around the neck of his audience. Here's what he does. He starts with a country up in the northeast, Damascus, the capital of Syria. For three transgressions, verse 3 says, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four. I will not revoke the punishment because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. And so he starts with Damascus, the capital of Syria. Had nothing to do with them. Got nothing to do with Judah themselves. Got nothing to do with the southern kingdom. But then he begins to move down to the southwest. From there he moves to the northwest. From there he begins to go down to the southeast. He begins with the nations of the pagans, the nations outside the family of God. He deals with those who have sinned against conscience. And so that's what he's talking about in verse 3 there. Now, three, notice there, he says for three transgressions, three, if you remember our numbers in the book of Revelation, means full or completeness. Four means overflowing. That phrase means that they're over the top. So he says for three things, and he says no for four. It's overflowing the top. Uh, in other words, God has had it up to here. And it means God isn't going to put up with it anymore. It means the cup of God's judgment and his wrath is full and it's overflowing. He hits Damascus up in the northeast, the capital of Syria. 
There were the enemies of the Israelites, and he lets them have it. He talks about their brutality. He says uh, they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. That means that they had just pounded the Gileadites to, to pulp. In those days, they would take threshing instruments, tools that were curved, sharp instruments uh, that were used to thresh a field of grain, and they would put people down, and they would rake those across the people. What brutality. Now, when the Israelites hear Amos preaching against one of their enemies, they're kind of like, wait a second. Amen, brother Amos. That's pretty good preaching for a country boy. Then he moves from the northeast down to the southwest. Go down to verse 6. Here's another, thus says the Lord. For three transgressions of Gaza and for four, so we know three is full of completeness, four is overflowing, he says, I will not revoke the punishment because they carried into exile a whole people to deliver them to Edom. And so he lays it out here uh, down in the southwest, the Gaza Strip. He hits them uh, with, with, their, with their slavery. He hits them uh, because basically uh, God basically says that God is going to judge these people of, uh, of this area of, 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 of Gaza here in verse 6. Uh, we know about Gaza today, don't you? And so uh, the people are kind of liking what he's saying about Gaza. They don't like Gaza. And so they're, they deserve it. Preach on, Brother Amos. You're getting better all along. Go down to verse 9. Again, thus says the Lord. For three transgressions of Tyre, and again, for four. So, again, completeness and overflowing. I will not revoke the punishment. Notice all three times so far he said, this is, you're not getting out of this. You're not, I'm not revoking this punishment. Because they delivered up a whole people to Edom and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. And so, there in verse 9, he talks uh, about uh, Tyre. Uh, here, he, he nails them uh, for not keeping uh, their treaty. Uh, they're really liking uh, Amos' preaching at this point. He goes on down to verse 11, and he says, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because he pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity, and his anger tore perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. And so he talks about Edom here because they don't have any pity. Uh, they've cast off all pity, all mercy. And then you go on down to verse 13 and he does another one. He says, thus says the Lord again, for three transgressions of the Ammonites and for four, same principle, it's full, it's overflowing. I will not revoke the punishment. You're not getting out of it because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead that they might enlarge their border. And so he's talking about the Ammonites here, the natural enemy of the Jews. Remember when they came even into the promised land. And you see the savagery here as they're taking women who are pregnant, who are expecting children. They're ripping the children out of their wombs. Now the Ammonites were the ones who had the fire god Moloch. They would take little children and lay them on the, the lap of their god Moloch, on their statue. Uh, the burning god, uh, the god Moloch. And the, and, and the lap of Moloch would open up and the little children would fall screaming and crying into the red-hot furnace in the belly of their God. How brutal and how savage. By the way, we see the same kind of things even in our day today. But here are the people here in Amos say that. 
And they're thinking, that's right, Amos. Those, those people, they deserve it. The Ammonites, God ought to give them everything they deserve. And he, they're thinking, Amos, you ain't all that bad of a preacher now. What they don't know is that Amos is all the time tightening the noose tighter and tighter. In Amos chapter 2, he hits Moab that's down in the southeast also because Moab burned the bones of the king of Edom into lime. And so uh, he says there in verse 1, Thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Moab and for four. There's that same phrase. I will not revoke the punishment. Again, same phrase. Because he burned to lime the bones of the king of Edom. So they had so much hatred, they wanted to punish people even beyond their death. They didn't even want their bones left for nobody to come around and find their bones and, and take them off back home uh, to where they had been before. And you can hear the people just saying, preach it, Amos, let those Moabites have it. They deserve it. Then in verse 4, he says, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four I will not revoke the punishment. Same term, same phrases. Why? Because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes, but their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. So this is their sister land down in the south that he's talking about. All to this point, he's been dealing with people who are outside the family. Now he's beginning to deal inside the family. And he's getting a little bit closer. He's hitting Judah to the south. And the people are probably beginning to feel a little bit uncomfortable, but they don't like those people down in Judah anyway. They've got hard feelings towards them. And they're like, that's all right, Brother Amos. Let them have it down in the south too. Isn't it an amazing thing? That's the way we like it. We like it for the preacher to preach about anybody and everything else that we think doesn't have anything to do with us. Oh, preach about them Democrats or preach about them Republicans or preach about those ungodly people out there, the lost and dying world out there. But don't step on my toes. But he's getting closer, talking about Judah in verse 4 and verse 5. The sin of Judah was sin against light. They rejected God's revelation. They rejected God's word. They disobeyed God's word. They disregarded God's word. But the people are still hanging there with him. And they're saying, preach it, Amos, preach it. Uh, we may call you to be our pastor. And then in verse 6, Amos takes the canon of the Bible and turns it right towards Israel. Thus says the Lord. For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Same terms, same phrases. They're not getting out of it either because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted, a man and his father... Go into the same woman, the same girl, the same prostitute, so that my holy name 
is profane. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. And in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fine. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and who was as strong as the oaks. I destroyed his fruit above and his root beneath. Also it was I who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and led you 40 years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up some of your sons for prophets and some of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not indeed so? Isn't it true? O people of Israel, that you've been liking this all so far till now the finger's pointed at you. But you made the Nazarites drink wine, which they had been commanded not to do. And then they were, you commanded also the prophets saying, you shall not prophesy. He says, behold, I will press you down in your place as a cart full of sheaves presses down. Flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not retain his strength, nor shall the mighty save his life. He who handles the bow shall not stand, and he who is swift of foot shall not save himself, nor shall he who rides the horse save his life. And he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day declares the Lord. What a message. A man and a son, they go to the same prostitute. They deprive the poor of warm clothing at night. He nails the land for its public drunkenness. All of that in spite of God's love for them. God had brought them up out of Egypt. He had loved them. The prophets who were, were the ones who had delivered the message of God. The Nazarites were the one who kept themselves pure for the service of the Lord. And notice what they did to them. How tragic, how terrible. They, they, they were specifically forbidden to do it. When people are living ungodly themselves and they begin to encounter someone who is living godly, they have one of two options. One, they can try to pull the godly, pull down the godly to their level. Or two, they can lift their life up to the level of the godly. Israel had chosen to try to silence the voice of the prophets and to compromise the consecration there. And the Lord is saying, I'm up to here, not only with all these godless nations, with your sister nation Judah, but especially with you, Israel. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 53, verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We're no better. We're no better than the nation of Israel or the nation of Judah. The Bible tells us we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The only hope for us is the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. Jesus who took the burden of our sin upon himself to give us eternal life. That's the message that we begin here with Amos. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. What a powerful message from Amos that Lord reminds us so often we're glad if the preacher's preaching about somebody else other than us. When we think about, oh, that doesn't have anything to do with me. 
I come to church. I read my Bible. I do good things. And so, Lord, I pray tonight that we would realize all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. We are all sinners in your sight. And we all need a Savior. Some of us here tonight, Lord, have received that Savior. We've received Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And so, Father, I pray tonight that if there are those who haven't, they would realize it is Jesus who bore their sins on the cross for them who was resurrected from the grave so they could have eternal life. And Father, I pray that this message will linger in our thoughts and in our hearts. And Lord, that we would realize, Lord, you're drawing the noose tight on us as America. Judgment is coming. Father, I pray that we will get our hearts right and that we even as believers will make sure that we are doing everything we need to do in living for you and letting the Holy Spirit develop us and mature us more and more into the image of Christ. Lord, that we would be perfect, complete, lacking nothing, doing all that you've called us to do before it's too late. Father, may we live out the truth of your word in a powerful way. So bless us, Lord, tonight. Convict us in our hearts, even as believers. And Lord, we just pray for your will to be done in the days ahead, and especially as we continue our study through the book of Amos. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you so much for joining with us there online. Uh, we'll be back Sunday morning uh, at 9.15 for Sunday school, 10.30 for worship. So you come and join us uh, if you can in person, especially. That would be a great blessing. Uh, but if you can't, you can join us there on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, as well as our phone live streaming. You have a blessed week. Stay safe, and we'll see you this coming Sunday.